What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Very Cold Lasagna, the podcast that has the safe and open listening platform for all the casual, cold, and dumb takes on the world of pro wrestling and sports. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. Welcome to today's episode, episode number 96 of this freezing cold podcast that houses the icy and spicy lasagna with all the takes in that very cold fridge. So, man, we're getting we're getting close to 100 episodes here on this show. And to be honest with you, I don't know really what to do to commemorate 100 episodes, um, to be honest with you. But, I mean, for some people, they like to commemorate it. For me, I mean, it's okay. 100 episodes. Woohoo! I mean... I'll think of something. I will think of something to commemorate 100 episodes doing this for a year. I mean, I haven't even commemorated uh, one year. I mean, it's just a year of me doing this and doing this for 100 episodes. I mean, crazy to believe that I've committed something this hard to do uh, for over 100 episodes to do. <laughs> but anyway, here we are. Um, almost 100 episodes in. Um, thank you for everyone that tunes into the show. Like the small amount of people that do still. And... You know, your support still means the world to me. It really does. But anyway, we still have the meat and potatoes um, to go into um, this episode, which is our March Madness. Even though the real March Madness is going on in the NCAA tournament. But if you want to tune into this March Madness, we're still talking about our NFL season recaps for the 2021 season. We have our part four for this episode. We're going to be talking about the six teams that... We're in the first round of the of the NFL playoffs, but sadly didn't get past that point. So before we get into the main topic of today, before we get into our season recaps, we had a little bit of free agency, a little bit of free agency moves that happened. Obviously, some smaller ones, some bigger ones that happened. Um, I think I covered most of them um, last week uh, in the last episode. Even if I didn't. Um, there were some post updates to the clips that were released throughout the week. Um, if I didn't get to them, let me know, uh, however you can, but the biggest move, the biggest move that happened in the free agency period so far, aside from, you know, Russell Wilson getting traded to the Denver Broncos, Aaron Rodgers staying with the Green Bay Packers. Um, what was the other big move that happened? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There was a certain quarterback, you know, that has been hasn't been playing for a, over, about a year because of you know this this very touchy thing that's going on with um, some some sexual allegations um, that's been happening, and that quarterback has been traded, has finally been traded to a team. Yes, Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans has been finally been traded. He's finally waived his no trade clause to. The Cleveland Browns. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, the Cleveland Browns. Why? Most <laughs> all teams, the skid marks. He waved this no trade clause for the damn skid marks. So, pretty much Cleveland, for a team that could have had Deshaun Watson in 2017 with the first overall pick, they decided not to get Deshaun Watson there, but they decided to trade away all their uh, all their first-round picks in the next three years. They're giving up their first-round pick this year, their 2023 first-round pick, and their 2024 first-round pick, as well as some third-round selections and fourth-round selections in the next couple of years for a quarterback that may be suspended in 
like for half of the season uh, next year. I mean, we get the like. I know it's gonna be a big, big um, price to pay for whoever was gonna acquire him. But of all the teams, Deshaun Watson, like Deshaun Watson wanted to go to, was the Skid Marks. Like he in Houston, it it was already bad. Like the thing I don't get personally for me, the thing I don't get personally for me is that I mean, I guess it makes Cleveland a better football team on the field. But for for in terms of off the field, like the Sean Watson was already in a shitty organization with a shitty owner that he clearly wanted to get away from. But what would make the situation better by going to another shitty organization? Like once you want to go to somewhere like um, New Orleans, you know, where you could win with a with a great a great leadership group a. A, a really good roster um and maybe put some more weapons around the sean watson in new orleans with because you don't know what's gonna happen with michael thomas and there was also atlanta the atlanta falcons i mean arthur likes okay as an owner and then you, you just have to build around um uh watson i mean sure it's not like um as ideal of a roster as new orleans was and you know Deshaun watson is from atlanta it just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make sense that Watson decided to go to Cleveland of all places um, to to play for a organization that's just as like near, nearly as crappy in terms of leadership as the Houston Texans was. I mean, the Texans are far worse, but I mean, I guess from one crappy organization to another. But it's whatever Deshaun Watson wants to do, I guess. But either way, he's finally away from the Houston Texans. This saga is over. And we can finally focus on other important things, like getting Jimmy Garoppolo's ass out of the 49ers. But either way, um, still some things to be resolved um, for Watson um, and the Greenland Browns in terms of you know the civil suits um, and the NFL's investigation and what verdict they're going to hand down um, and whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to get suspended Um next season or if at all so that remains um to be seen um for the browns clearly a massive upgrade over baker mayfield now they're trying to ship off uh mayfield mayfield already requested a trade prior um to the browns getting deshaun watson so they denied the trade request obviously again <laughs> them getting deshaun watson there's no need to deny the request they could just go through with a, uh expediting baker mayfield's request Getting him in out of town. Um, my ideal um, trade spot would be, I don't know, the Seahawks. Just just to get him um, just to get him to a team um, that could use a new quarterback. I know Seattle fans won't like that. But, I mean, would you, like, would any other team really want Baker Mayfield at this point? I don't know. So, I guess you could call it a neutral win for... For both sides, I guess. But for me personally, I just don't know. I just don't know why Deshaun Watson would choose Cleveland over teams like New Orleans or Atlanta. It doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. So those are just my thoughts on the Deshaun Watson trade. Obviously, there were bigger things. Uh, there were other big things that happened in the NFL, but obviously the biggest one, um, one, one of the biggest ones, came um, 
game this past week and the ones we already talked about the previous week. So, damn, this AFC is pretty stacked. This AFC is pretty damn stacked. You got Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. You got Russell Wilson in Denver. Um, Josh Allen, obviously, and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow um, in the, throughout the AFC. This is going to be a bloodbath. This is really going to be a bloodbath in the AFC. It's like the survival of the fittest. It's like Mortal Kombat um, in the AFC. Like, what do, you, what do you really have in the NFC? I mean, besides Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know if Trey Lance decides to it quickly develops in year two. I don't know. All you really have is Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. That's it. So goddamn. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and whatever happens in the rest of free agency. But for now, we're heading towards the draft. We're heading towards the draft. There's probably not going to be uh, much big moves happening um, the rest of the way um, in free agency. But um, damn. This free agency period has been pretty wild so far. It's been pretty wild. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Now, let's talk about some uh, more teams. Some more of our March Madness here on Very Cold Lasagna. And that is our 2021 NFL season recaps. So, in our part four, we're going to be discussing the six teams that made it to the playoffs, got got in as either uh, below a three, below the three seed, uh, below the two seeds, uh, my, my pardon, were either made it as a three three seeds or belower, so they were either the, the part of the wild card round, and didn't get past that. So we're gonna be dis- discussing the wild card losers, the losers of the AFC and NFC wild cards. So with that being said, let's get started with part four of our season recaps. So we're gonna kick off part four of our 2021 NFL season recaps with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles in 2021 were heading into some uncertain territory. 2020, very, very bad year for, for Eagles and their fan base. They went 4-11-1 because, well, they had a very underwhelming roster. And, well, injuries to said roster also led to that to that 4-11-1 record. Also leading to that record was friction between Doug Peterson, the front office, and Carson Wentz going into a a pretty bad regression period that led to the rookie and second rounder Jalen Hurts um, starting the rest of the way at, I think it was the late point of the season. And then there's that game and that season finale on, for whatever reason, NBC and the NFL decided that was the game to put on prime time. Yeah. That Sunday night final game of the season in week 17 against the Washington football team, where they've only put that there because honestly it was Washington Putting much putting the bow on the top on the top on the NFC East. That was it. So they fired Doug Peterson after the season, and then in comes Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni. And people are wondering, like, who's Nick Sirianni? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> I, I personally didn't even know who Nick Sirianni was until, well, obviously. The 49ers game, um, like like early, very early in the season. So, in the offseason last year, they trade Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts for uh, for a third-round pick and a conditional second-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft that could become a first-round pick. And, well, we'll get there eventually. Um, and, yeah, I'll just say now, actually, that it actually did become a first-round pick. 
So that pretty much all but assured that Jalen Hurts would be the starter in 2021. Obviously, still questions about whether or not he could be the guy to you know take the Eagles to the top. So during that offseason, they released Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, two key pieces in that um offense and in Eagles pass. But they later drafted um in Jalen Hurts' old teammate from Alabama, Devontae Smith. Um, so you get a little bit of uh, chemistry in the offense. So despite that, though, they didn't really do much in free agency. Um, they did sign Ryan Kerrigan from the Washington football team. They got Steven Nelson, but uh, mainly on short-term deals. So going to the season, you had a new head coach. You still had a pretty underwhelming roster still. Um, you still had questions about a second-year quarterback um, that was getting a full season to start in the NFL. So 2021 was looking like the beginning of a rebuild for Philadelphia. But I don't think the Eagles remembered that. <laughs> I honestly don't think the Eagles remembered that at all. So, you know, it for for at least the for at least the most part of it because, you know, the Eagles went into Atlanta the first week of the season. They beat up on it on the Falcons um and easily so. Jalen Hurts Devontae Smith looked pretty damn good in, in that game. And the problem was, though, when it, it was only against the scraps. It, it was only week one. Then when you go against the 49ers in week two, you pretty much saw um, what was the case um, the rest of the way. They couldn't really um, outlast the real contenders. The problem was um, in the games against the real contenders, like the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Dallas Cowboys, the Kansas City Chiefs, there were things that would really question like why are they even trying to compete at this point i mean sure you want to win games but it like what what was their goal for 2021 so anyway you know nick's like during these games against the like eventual playoff contenders nick sirianni would make like odd decisions that didn't need to be made like during that 49ers game he made that failed philly special um on fourth down like they literally tried to go for for it all like very early in the game and they failed like why and then very early like all throughout the season um jalen hurts struggled with finding his receivers that were well wide open and in some games he would commit a bevy of turnovers um and then jonathan gannon's defense the defensive coordinator his defense got toasted early on and sure they got better down the line but um they were absolutely getting hammered um uh, by the best defenses given to them so, Dixie Rowney noticed that Jalen Hurts wasn't doing well, um, like, so far. So, he decided to change things up. He decided to change up the offense by making it more 49ers-oriented, uh, by making it, you know, a run-based offense. Um, so, he had some, like, pretty pretty decent running backs in Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, and then he had rookie Kenny Kenneth Gainwell. So, they went to that style of offense. And they actually managed to have some success with it. Um, but I mean, realistically, you could have picked one or two, Mr. Sirianni. So anyway, it was at that midway point of the uh, season where that change happened. And sir, sir most certainly, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a success for Philadelphia. And it was also during that time where the defense also tightened up. Darius Slay having the longest fumble recovery uh, touchdown ever in, the, in that Denver game. Uh, the thing was, though, um, yeah, that heavy use of the running game, it would just create more questions about whether Jalen Hurts was the long-term option. I mean, he would still have those games 
where we'd have multiple turnovers and it really wouldn't um create a lot of like passing situ like passing situations or like good throws so there were also some games though that he looked look oh he looked pretty good like for the games against the new orleans saints or the, the first or the second game against washington and the second game against the new york giants so you know those games showed off what jalen hurts could potentially be um if he corrects the the simple things so nonetheless the eagles took care of their business um they went nine and, and nine and eight even though most of those wins were against like hapless um rebuilding or injured teams like the new york giants washington the new orleans saints the new york jets and you know and lo and behold they surprisingly clinched a playoff spot they clinched like they actually clinched it before the 49ers um <laughs> they 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 had the worst record than them so the the eagles managed to clinch their playoff spot but unfortunately for them um pretty much like their run run first identity um the concerns about jalen hurts would come back to haunt them in the game against the tampa bay bucks in the in the first round because the bucks would totally kick their ass um the tampa shut down the running game miles sanders couldn't um couldn't couldn't find an open running lane neither could jordan howard or boston scott and jalen hurts was getting pummeled by that pass rush and he couldn't run the ball himself the the Bucks knew it was coming. And just like in previous other games, Jalen Hurts was missing open receivers, including to Devontae Smith. And of course, it wasn't until later in the game where they were just putting out the garbage numbers. So pretty bad, pretty bad um, end to the season for um, the Philadelphia Eagles. But even with the ass kicking, even with the ass kicking end to their 9-8 season, you know, Eagles fans should feel a little bit encouraged for the future. You know, Devontae Smith had a solid year. Um, and Nick Sirianni, his running back approach should be excess success. And it shouldn't be though, um it shouldn't be a long term a long term solution because you, you still want to see what you have in Jalen Hurts. You still want to see if he's the guy, if he has the intangibles, if you should get hopefully get a a better offseason um out of him. So also, the defense got better in the second half. Fletcher Cox, Darius Slay, they were pretty damn good in that unit. And, it, of course, against the pretty bad teams, of course. So, the, the Philadelphia Eagles still have some questions to answer um, this offseason, especially from Jalen Hurts, um, whether he's going to be the guy or not. But if in order to answer those questions, you got to get um, – you got to build up the, the key positions. You got to build up um, some great areas first. So going into the offseason, there they were had about 21 million in cap space to spend um, going into oh, the free agency period what, before it opened up. Some of the key free agents included Derek Barnett and Ryan Kerrigan. You also had Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris at safety. They also had Jordan Howard and corner Steven Nelson. I don't know if they're going to retain any of them, but some of the things that they already addressed um, included um, their big slash signing in Panthers edge rusher Hassan Reddick um, to a three-year deal. Um, the biggest thing that the Philadelphia Eagles lacked um, last year was uh, pressuring quarterbacks, um, even with Fletcher Cox in the lineup. Um, and I guess the Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Kerrigan signing didn't really help them much. But Hassan Reddick had a really good year for the Carolina Panthers, um, as I mentioned in 
with my Panther season recap. Hassan Reddick will be a really good addition alongside Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat. That pass rush is going to be real. This could be a really good uh, unit to go, to go along with. So there's still something to address. Um, I know the Eagles didn't really do much yet to um, address their other team needs, but they can do so in the draft because they have three picks. Yes, three picks to go um, in in this 2022 draft. They have 15th, 16th, and 19th. So three picks right out of the gate. So. There's still some things to address for the Philadelphia Eagles. They have to upgrade the receiver uh, spot behind Devontae Smith. Um, as you saw in the wildcard game uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks, when Devontae Smith gets taken away, Jalen Hurts becomes a sitting duck. And no, um, Jalen Rager is not the answer to the Philadelphia Eagles receiving um, problem. And neither is Quest Watkins. Neither is Quest Watkins. I mean, Quest Watkins can be a good, res uh, okay reserve guy, but... As a wide receiver too? No, not not at all. So they lack in both um, quality and kind of they they kind of need a veteran veteran presence because they're they're kind of a pretty young roster. They kind of are. So it's in their best interest to not just grab obviously a young receiver in the draft um, to go alongside Devontae Smith, but maybe they should grab a like a veteran like presence. Um, to mentor to mentor these receivers like a Julio Jones or Jarvis Landry or Cole Beasley, um, at the time right now they're in the open market, so perhaps the Eagles can invest in one of the, in one of their draft picks to go get the best receiver available as a number two option behind Devontae Smith. They also have to get another edge rusher, um, opposite Hassan Reddick, unless um, either. Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat are already on the opposite end. But either way, they have to solidify on the pass rush and and solidify that run defense just to shore up that defensive line. Um, you know, just also they have to uh solidify that secondary by re-signing some safeties. Um uh Rodney McLeod and uh what was his name? Uh Anthony Harris. They all they can they can either re-sign them. I mean, they were okay, but if they have any leftover money, maybe go for a guy like Tyron Matthew or Kareem Jackson. So they still need production um, from their uh, secondary to tighten up to tighten up the defense and maybe get some plays. They they haven't gotten too many big plays outside of Darius Slay. They have to get up. They have to get him some help. So the Eagles still have a ways to go if they want to make a at least a um, deep push in the NFC East. They have to like they have to make some moves. To at least compete with Dak Prescott in the, in the Dallas Cowboys. So, you still have some questions about Jalen Hurts and his viability as the long term starter. But, you know, 2021 did provide some hope um, for the Philadelphia Eagles and their fan base. So, if they continue to build around Jalen Hurts, strengthen that defense with more quality signings, and, you know, get Jalen, get Jalen a number two receiver behind Devontae Smith, then. Who knows? Maybe Philadelphia can possibly throw the rebuild right out the window and potentially a big hurry. So next up, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, for the Steelers, they've they've had their run. They had their fun with Big Ben Roethlisberger for almost 20 years. You know, Ben took them three Super Bowls, won two of them. They got them multiple division titles and, you know, overall was a key to their success for the most part. However, with everything though, with time, you know, Big Ben eventually 
you know, he, he eventually became the next victim of father time. He, his, his play, his production, it, it, it dipped over the years. And let's not remember, um, the last two years with his season ending elbow injury in 2019. And then his production seriously dipping in 2020 with the large amount of turnovers and his very, very bad throws, um, throughout, throughout that year. So despite all that, you know, the Steelers won the division, won the AFC North, but then they got destroyed at home. They were, they were very fortunate that there were no fans at that time against the Cleveland Browns. But still, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers went to 2021 with some expectations of at least winning the AFC North again. Um, and, you know, you still had Mike Tomlin as the head coach. Big Ben decided to come back for one last run or perhaps one last paycheck because he still had a large amount of salary in this contract. So Big Ben coming back for his 18th season and who knew at the time it was going to be his last um, despite the horrific wild card loss at home. But the problem was the Steelers wound up losing uh, key players in free agency like Bud Dupree, Matt Filer, and the Steelers really didn't do much to address those losses. I mean, they did do some things in the draft like getting Najee Harris uh, at running back and a tight end called Pat Fryer move, but they didn't really do any, really much of anything to address the losses um, at, at key positions. So going into the season, um, you were kind of like lacking in some areas and you also didn't have much of a succession plan for Big Ben in the event that he did retire after the season at the time again. Um, so it was going to be a pretty competitive division and the Steelers were kind of the old guard, but for Pittsburgh, they still wanted to give Ben at least one last goal at a potential playoff run. The problem was they they were running into some issues um, all season long. Um, you know, despite having the winning record by season's end, these problems were very persistent um, all season long. You know, the offensive line was struggling all early and often. They struggled to keep a already aging Big Ben protected and they were pretty much giving no room for Najee Harris to run. The thing was keeping trying to keep Big Ben uh, upright because, like, as soon as the ball was snapped, the the pass protection would immediately break down for Ben Roethlisberger. And for sometimes Ben Roethlisberger would get so rattled by the pressure he would either get sacked or he would he would erratically uh, throw the ball away that would lead to a turnover. So. If, if it wasn't the offense, it was sometimes, it was sometimes um, the defense too that would give up um, some big, big plays and a, some in some instances, a lot of points to to other teams. So there's some inconsistency of the offense that cost Pittsburgh some valuable games and, and put them near elimination towards the uh, midway point of the season. But at that point, after that point, the defense, especially TJ Watt and Mike Tomlin's coaching staff, they helped turn things around. Um, they got enough key wins late in the season to get them into the playoffs. And they also got a little bit of luck too. Um, sure, the quality of opponents was far and few between, but when when they had a pass rush of JJ Watt, Devin Bush, Cameron Hayward, um, they, they that defense was they they really helped them um, overcome the the terribleness of the offense. 
that that defense uh pass that the pass rush got a lot of stops and gave them a, uh the offense the opportunities that well sometimes they gave away but other times they took advantage of big ben was yes yeah, still meh but he made more than enough passes in the mid-range um, to the receiving core. That was, in fact, missing Juju Smith-Suster for half the season with injury. And Chase Claypool being a disappointment in year two. Claypool was too busy, you know, dancing around, taunting other players. Like, really big disappointment um, by Claypool in year two. So, Steelers took care of business against the mediocre teams. And, again, they got some help in week 18 thanks to... Um, the Colts and the Chargers um, to get into the playoffs. Now, the final two wins uh, included Big Ben's last road and home wins against their their division rivals, the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. But, of course, in the AFC wildcard, the defense could only do so much to Patrick Mahomes. TJ Watt could only do so much. You know, they managed to get a um, a botched, a, a botched trick uh, lateral play um and fumble for a touchdown but that was the pretty much the ignition to the offense destroying them pretty much so anyway that they they got completely destroyed in the wild card round in pretty much a repeat of their week 16 matchup um so for the Steelers they went 97-1 yes kind of a, a little disappointing end to what ended up being Big Ben's last ever game was it a nice feel-good run for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, for Big Ben? Yes, but I guess for for me it was just a bigger indication that it was just time for him, for Ben Roethlisberger to ride into the sunset. So pretty much all it did was make Ben go out on a super whopper in that AFC wildcard game because again he got blown out in his last ever game. I mean, was that really the memory that like most quarterbacks would want to go out on? Really? So nonetheless, you know, the Steelers, I guess, they gave Big Ben one last dance in the postseason. And again, as he expected, he finally retired um, in, after the season ended. So after 18 years, the two-time Super Bowl champion uh, finally retired. And in his prime, he was a very efficient passer. Um, but the problem for the Steelers now is that they don't really have much of a succession plan in place. For whatever reason, general manager Kevin Colbert Throughout the years, had no interest in at least finding a like a pet project for Ben to mentor, uh, like you know, like get him up to speed, and you know, get get ready in time for when that time came for ben, Big Ben to retire. Hey, we have we have our quarterback ready to go, but nope, <laughs> we had to. They literally had to sign a quarterback off the streets, and did they ever? They got the former. And first ever Nickelodeon MVP, and his name is Mitchell Mick Trubisky. Yes, they got the former MVP, the first ever MVP, Mitch Trubisky. But man, MVP Mitch has some big shoes to fill. And um, in a what's going to be a wild, wild AFC North that has Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson. Oof, just oof. So hopefully whatever he learned in in Buffalo um, backing up Josh Allen for a year, hopefully he learned that very well. So this is going to be a big offseason, um, probably already is so far for the Pittsburgh Steelers because not only do they have to fill the void for Ben still, um, well, which they already did with Mitch Trubisky, but we'll see. But they have to keep 
giving Trubisky some tools to success. So going to the offseason, they started with around $31 million in cap space. Some of their key free agents include Juju Smith-Schuster, who ended up going to the Kansas City Chiefs. They still have Joe Hayden on free agency. Ray Ray Cloud ended up going to the San Francisco 49ers. Taco Charlton, the edge rusher, and right guard Trey Turner. Uh, Trey Turner. I don't know how to pronounce it. So some of their um, needs that they already addressed so far, um, some of their key offseason moves, was that they obviously re-signed uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky. And then they re-signed uh, two key pieces to the... Actually, one key piece to the Steelers defense, and that was corner Akella Witherspoon. Um, you know, for a team that was uh, released by the Seahawks a year ago and also let go in for agency by the 49ers, Witherspoon really did uh, really did solid um, in his first year in Pittsburgh. And they also signed Bills corner Levi Wallace um, to kind of solidify um, that Bill secondary. They also revamped the offensive line a little by signing Bears guard James Daniel and Viking center Mason Cole. So giving Mitch Trubisky a little bit of protection. And they gave the defense a, a little bit of boost as well. Give J.J. Watt some help. Uh, not J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt um, some help. We have Jaguars, a linebacker, Miles Jack. Yeah, that same Miles Jack that was giving the L's. That was giving Pittsburgh the L's <laughs> um, in that divisional game a couple years ago. So some of the things that they still need to address um, throughout uh, the offseason is uh, a wide receiver. They have to get the best wide receiver, whether it's in the draft or whatever's in the bargain bin, um, because, well, they have Chase Claypool, but they don't really have anyone else um, at, at that other opposite wide receiver end. They already lost Juju Smith-Schuster. They haven't really had a top receiver option since, well, I hate to say it, Antonio Brown. So... They have to get the best available receiver. Um, I'd say their best option is in the draft at number 20. Don't know who that is, but whoever's available, get them. They also have to continue to build that offensive line around Mitch Trubisky, you know, give him the best um, protection because the offensive line, again, last year for Pittsburgh was one of the worst. It really was one of the worst. Um, so the defense is already tied up. Now the offense, uh, the offense should be the main priority. Um, as you go into a new, kind of a new era for Steelers football. So it was a nice 18 years for the Pittsburgh Steelers with Big Ben Roethlisberger. Although not so nice decade considering um, Big Ben's decline in play. And then the debacles with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. Um, but they at least gave him one last gift in a playoff game, I guess. Albeit a blowout loss. But now they face the deadly future now they face what could be an uncertain future sure they got the nvp mitch trubisky but the steelers better hope that that nvp and whatever he learned in buffalo can at least help help them survive a wasteland of what is going to be the afc north so next up we have the dev star or actually the former dev star of the nfl and that is the new england patriots for the better part of 20 years nearly 20 years actually tom brady and bill belichick had their reign of terror their death star over the nfl and the afc winning six super bowl titles together winning the afc countless times yes that weak ass afc at the time but once tom brady finally decided to take his talents to tampa bay it was, well, not much of a surprise that the Patriots suffered a drop-off in 2020. Going 7-9, and 
with Cam Newton under under center and surrendering the AFC East to the rising Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. So Bill Belichick, the GM, decided to go on a spending spree last year, netting the likes of Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, now Sean Aguilar to bolster the offense. And defensively, they acquired Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, and Kyle Van Noy, which, by the way, is a returning Patriots player. But, of course, the big big offseason move for New England was what they did in the draft. At number 15, literally way in the wings, was their quarterback of the future, Alabama's Mac Jones. Obviously, <laughs> going in to the draft, everyone thought it was going to be Mac Jones going to the 49ers. But, well, we knew what happened there. Trey Lance went to the 49ers, and then Justin Fields went to the Bears, and then literally Bill Belichick did have to do anything. It was like literally the Luigi wins by doing absolutely nothing meme for Bill Belichick because he didn't have to do jack shit. He didn't have to trade up to get Mac Jones. He didn't have to do anything. He literally got him at number 15, just where he predicted. <laughs> just kidding. So he actually did get some solid pieces um, that would turn into key tr- contributors in um, Christian Barmore, defensive tackle, and running back Ramondi Stevenson. So Mac Jones did end up winning the starting job over Cam Noon in the preseason, um, and Noon was released before the season started. But, you know, Mac Jones, um, I, I think I mentioned this um, in my filthy casual scouting um, last year. I mentioned that I like Mac Jones um, as a like a like a Tom Brady um, like clone <laughs> with his um, with his passing and his decision making. But the problem was, well, in the modern NFL um, where every, like everyone's running out of the pocket, everyone's mobile. Yeah, it being a, a pocket passer may not help you out in the long term. But well, either way. Still questions about how Mac Jones would do in real-time action, but either way, it was the beginning of a new era for Patriots football, but it was kind of rough in the early portions. Patriot, the Patriots went 1-3, enduring some growing pains on offense, and that included some rookie growing pains for Mac Jones. That included some badly timed turnovers that would cost them uh, ga- games against the Dolphins in the opener and the New Orleans Saints two games later. So... Also, during this period, while not much of a highlight um, because they lost that game, they they did get to witness the return of an old favorite. Their old, their old uh, I guess you could call husband, Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady came back in the prime time, um, the, the big game of the, se- the regular season. Um, yes, Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady. The Tampa Bay Bucks versus the New England Patriots in week four. Um, so Tom Brady didn't have really much of an electric game, but he still managed to return home and face his old team, you know, got some cheers before the game. And then obviously during the game got jeered I mean, in, in tradition, but the Bucks managed to, uh, get the win over Brady's old team. So by mid season, um, the Patriots were two and four, but after that point, they turned their fortunes around. Um, the defense played much better, um, especially from the likes of corner J.C. Jackson, the tackle Christian Barmore, um, safety Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar, and linebacker Matthew Judon. The defense intensified in generating turnovers, pressuring the quarterback. Um, again, that secondary was very good in coverage and limited the amount of p- passing plays that, that were made. The pass rush did very good at 
uh, Nay some timely sacks to get them off the field on third downs. And on offense, you know, Mac Jones looked solid at times with his throws and pocket awareness. Um, but again, there were still some, uh, some times where it reminded everyone that, you know, he's still a rookie. He's still a rookie learning. Um, as such, Josh McDaniels used the, the solid running running game with Damian Harris and Ramondi Stevenson and Brandon Bolden to take some of that load off of him. Now, again, during the stretch, most of the teams that they beat were pretty much scrubs, like the, the Panthers, the Browns, the, the, the Titans. Um, yes, even the Titans were scrubs and the Falcons. And by the way, they shut out the Falcons. So it's no surprise that they, they kicked their ass. So... The problem was, though, like, despite being this teams, um, the offense would have one too many slow starts um, because of what Josh McDaniels was doing to protect Mac Jones. So, sure, um, the Patriots during this stretch um, before their bye week would end up being the Buffalo Bills, um, albeit in terrible win conditions. Um, and then they ended up taking command of the AFC East um, during their bye week when the Bills lost to the Bucs um, a couple days later. So, you know, Patriots fans were thinking, oh, we're back in the AFC East. We're going to take over the division now, pal. So the the Patriots seemed like they were back. Yes, because, well, they were playing better football. Um, the Bills were on a downward trend because of inconsistent offensive play. And they lost um, a key piece of their defense in Tredavious White. But their own problems would begin um, because they would lose to the Colts in a key matchup when they came back on a Saturday night. They lost to the Bills at home in in the Bills revenge game and they lost a season finale to the Miami Dolphins when the Dolphins were already eliminated and that game would end up costing them the AFC East um well actually it was the Bills game that would cost them the AFC East but still the Patriots ended up having to play their their wild card game in Buffalo against the Bills and well yeah we all know what happened there um, it was a total ass kicking by by Buffalo in all phases in that first round in that first round game. The defense for the Patriots allowed Josh Allen and the offense to score on every single possession of that game. Yes, that entire the, a, a team that's led by a defensive coach in Bill Belichick did absolutely nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing to prepare for that game, and they literally let Josh Allen steamroll that team, steamroll them. It's like Mac Jones and Kendrick Bourne were the only ones that were able to show up. I mean, sure, 14 garbage time points, but sure, they still managed to make some oh, some good throws in that game, but they were just thoroughly dominated. Thoroughly dominated in that game. The most, Probably one of the most lopsided playoff games um, I've ever seen. So, yes, Completely down way to end the season for New England, but I guess you could say you could be a little bit encouraged by the flashes Mac Jones offered this year. Sure, some things to work on, but he clearly was the best uh, quarterback in this draft class by a mile. Um, with his intelligence, his throwing ability, and you did see him run. You did see him run, so don't, don't, like, he, he, he proved me wrong. He proved me damn wrong. He can freaking run. So he can get out of the damn pocket, okay? So... I also got some uh, steals in the draft with Christian Barmore and Ramon J. Stevenson, um, both of whom showed valuable production for the Patriots. So overall, a solid season for New England and Bill Belichick, 
And you just have to hope that Mac Jones gets even better in year two. But to do that, you got to get him some help. So going to the offseason, um, you had some, you didn't really have honestly much money to spend. You only had around $8 million going into the offseason. Um, you going in, going out of it, um, go, uh, after the first week of free agency, you, ha, you, you have around $10 million, uh right now as we speak. Some of your key free agents include uh, Devin McCourty, right tackle Trent Brown, uh, linebacker Dante Hightower, and linebacker uh, Kyle Van Noy. Uh, some of their key offseason uh, moves was, well, they lost uh, their offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, to the Las Vegas Raiders um, because he accepted their head coaching position. So it remains to be seen how Josh McDaniels would do um, in Vegas in his second ever head coaching state, his first ever one since 2009. Um, so... Either way, let's see how he does in a second chance. And perhaps their biggest loss was, um, besides McDaniels, was J.C. Jackson. Yes, they lost their corner, J.C. Jackson, to the L.A. Chargers. Um, it's going to be a big boost to that L.A. defense. Um, but perhaps a big loss for that um, secondary for the Patriots. So, honestly, other than that, they, the, the Patriots, in contrast to last year, they didn't make a big splash this year. Um, at least not right now, at least. So perhaps they're focusing on the draft and they they probably it's probably because they don't have much money to spend and probably because they wasted it all last year. So some of the things that they need to address um going forward um before the start of the season is they have to upgrade at wide receivers. Yes, they invested heavily at wide receiver last year, but yeah, their signings proved to be mo mostly total bust. Um every addition that they added besides Kendrick Bourne was a flop. Yes. And the options are running thin for Bill Belichick. Sure, there's still a few cheap options that they could bring in in the free agent market, but what they need is a downfield threat in the draft. Um, they they need someone to stretch the field, get Mac Jones to strike on his deep throws, but they need that downfield threat for Mac Jones to stretch the field and you know give him some um, some options on what kind of passes he should throw. They should also draft a a corner or two to replace the loss of JC Jackson and sure the Patriots might not be able to find one in round one or, uh, or round two but um, there's still some solid options there's still some solid options um, and well, the free agent market still kind of flooded uh, with um, some some corners still holding out hope for a big contract so for the Patriots you know they saw some hope for optimism in year one with Mac Jones um, the thing is though, they still got to give him some help. If they give him a number one receiver in the draft, mainly a downfield threat, um, they build that defense back up, especially considering they lost, um, JC Jackson. And you don't know if like their key free agents, like Dante Howard tower and Van Noy are going to come back and play, uh, another year. Then new England might, might, might be able to, um, compete again for a playoff spot in the AFC because yeah, again, this AFC is going to be an odd slot. Um, year two could be better for Mac Jones and who knows? You, like if the Patriots can make these moves, who knows? The AFC could face some Mac and cheese in 2022. So at this halfway point of our part four of our season recaps, let me know if you're a fan of these teams, how they did in 2021 and what are you looking for to them doing in 2022. So now that being said, let's begin our second half of our part four. And let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh man, what a season they had. 
But going into this to their 2021 is honestly, in my opinion, pretty uneventful um, for the Raiders last year. Uh, and that's just my opinion. Probably I was paying too much of what was going on in their offseason. But nonetheless, you know, for 2020, for them, they got off to a hot start in the first half. But just like in 2019, um, they completely cool off. They blew away games that they needed to win to finally get back in the playoffs. And they just couldn't finish it. So they go 8-8. Um, they kept uh, John Gruden for another year. And it was during the last offseason, they tried to make attempts to upgrade that defense um, that had been pretty horrific in the last couple of seasons. They added the likes of defense and Yannick Nugakwe, um, Quinn Jefferson, and corner Casey Hayward. Um, so they shored up that defense. They also shored up an offensive line that been kind of bad, but they also reached for a... A right tackle they also you know they reach for a little bit you know a guy that's been kind of eh in college they all they went for a right tackle in alex letterwood again who's been eh in college so you know going into the season you know you have john gruden head coach who hasn't been living up to his hefty heavy 10-year contract and Derek Carr has been eh, okay he's been okay as their quarterback so not many expectations were in store for them. Um, in an especially competitive AFC West that had Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and then Justin Herbert was going to be in this year, too. So, who knows? Maybe the Raiders were just going to be third-place father or even bottom of the basement um, in 2021. But, you know, in in their their first early weeks of the season, n- no, it wasn't. They got to a surprising 3-0 start, netting... Upsets over the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers in consecutive weeks. So, unlike other teams, other other three and O teams, this was no fluke. Uh, this, this didn't seem like um no fluke no fluke for the the, the Vegas Raiders. They actually netted uh quality wins over playoff uh last season's playoff teams. The problem was though, unfortunately for them, that infamous saying you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas went into full overdrive yes a series of events um in the in the last couple in the in the last in the the preceding weeks kicked into overdrive you had head coach john gruden there were a massive amounts of emails leaked um that came from the investigation regarding dan snyder and those emails consisted of racist derogatory statements to certain players and key people around the nfl um that were made by john gruden and and that gave a bad look onto him in the Raiders organization. And after a loss to the Chicago Bears in week five, he he stepped down, he resigned. Um, and that led to interim that led to Rich Bishakia um entering in as the interim head coach. So it was also during the bye week, um, a couple of weeks later, sure, the Raiders won two more games um after John Rudin left. But it's also during the bye week um, after that, that second-year receiver Henry Ruggs was arrested um, for DUI that ended up killing a woman and her and her dog late at night. And then second-year corner David uh, Damon Arnett showed his uh, his guns, his firearms, on Instagram Live and made death threats ab- about it. So both of them ended up getting released. Um, Henry Ruggs in serious, serious trouble. So it, t- it, it took up a big big toll both physically and mentally on the on the vegas raiders in, in this in in the mid-season point um the cards were beginning to fall and in, in 
Vegas was beginning to burn on the Raiders. So they would endure a very bad one in five stretch that included two 40 point ass kickings from the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, 40 point ass kickings twice at home on primetime television and on the road in Kansas City. So not a good look. And let's remember the fact that um, yeah, that 40-point ass-kicking in Kansas City was because the Raiders stupidly danced on Kansas City's logo. Don't do that. Don't piss them off. So, either either way, you know, this loss of Henry Ruggs, I mean, sure, he did a stupid thing, but it really impacted the flow of the Raiders' offense. Derek Carr no, no longer had a downfield option, no, no threat, um, and not even the late-season signing of Deshaun Jackson, who got released by the Rams, um, he, he wasn't able to fix that problem. Um, the defense ended up giving a shit ton of points during this period. Um, they gave way too many big plays that were already out of reach by the time that, by the time the play was about to proceed. So they were six and seven in December, um, after getting embarrassed again by Kansas city. So the Raiders broke in for physically and emotionally after all the drama they were enduring. And by that point, like people were thinking, should they give up the season? Should they tank? Should they just like let it ride? Go for for a high draft, like a high draft pick. But instead, Rich Versace motivated them. They motivated them to get better. They're still in playoff positioning. It's like, hey, let's go take it. Let's go take that uh, spot that they were still alive for. I mean, they they took it to heart. And sure, it wasn't the prettiest of football, but. They meant to finish the season winning their last four games to net a playoff berth. And that last game of the season against the LA Chargers, yeah, it got them into the playoffs. And during this stretch, both sides made critical plays, especially from Derek Carr and breakout slot receiver Hunter Renfro on the offensive end, Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe lighting up that pass rush. And of course, like I said, to get that playoff berth, they had to face the Chargers at home in the final game of the regular season. And they were literally, again, literally they were in overtime. They were nearly milking the clock. All they had to do was milk that clock and it tie the game. And it could have sent uh, the Chargers to the, to the playoffs as well. They were literally doing LA a favor. But then Brandon Saley calls a timeout. And then it changes the game plan for Las Vegas. And they only get into the playoffs instead of the, the Clippers. So they, they the Raiders win um, in the season finale. And they go to Cincinnati. And um, it was predicted that Cincinnati was going to kick their ass. But no, the Raiders actually managed to stay alive in that game. And sure, they didn't win it in the end because they didn't make enough plays. Um, and they, their car got intercepted near the end zone. But everyone from top to bottom on this Raider squad fought their hearts out. They really fought their hearts out. Um, and they have Rich Versace to thank for that. Um, they managed to fight off all this drama, all this emotional heartbreak, um, just to get into the postseason. Um, you know, Derek Carr did pretty damn good in the season, um, despite his usual oddball turnovers, his lack of options. Um, and, you know, he also didn't even have Darren Waller um, for a good chunk of the season with, uh, with injuries and kind of disappointing for Darren Waller. Um, and he also, Derek Carr also had a bad offensive line. Um, the defense did much better than years past. Um, and the signings of Nagakwe and Casey Hayward 
paid big dividends. Um, like I said, with Hunter Renfro, big, big breakout year for him. Um, he stepped up big when there was literally no options <laughs> for Derek Carr to go to. Um, but most importantly, interim head coach Rich Bisaccia really lifted the team up um, when when literally the, the entire Raiders organization was kind of in a black hole to finish out the season strong. Now, some of his uh, coaching decisions were kind of eh um, during games, but you know his personality, his people skills, um, he 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 was he was really needed. Um, the players liked him, and what he did was far and beyond to keep his team afloat. Now, it was kind of kind of sucked that it wasn't enough for Mark Davis um, to keep to keep him around as the permanent head coach, but hopefully, it helps the Raiders and you know Mark Davis. To learn that lesson, you know, play your hearts out, be a people person, and all that. Now, going to the offseason, they already found their next head coach in Josh McDaniels, as well as their new general manager because they fired Mike Mayock, um, Dave Zeigler. So they were in a big position. Those two are were in a big position and still are in a big position to you know, continue the success, turn this luck around, turn um that playoff spot turn that um playoff um game that they're in into even more and oh boy did they so going into the offseason they had around 20 million dollars to spend initially some of their key free agents included marcus mariota quinn jefferson and jonathan hackins carl nassib kj wright deshaun jackson ricky richie incognito um that, those are at least some of the key free agents um, there are other key friends like Casey Hayward, Zay Jones, Chandler Jones. Um, no, not Chandler Jones. Uh, he, he signed by the way. Um, but there are other key friends like Casey Hayward, Zay Jones. They're already gone. But going back to Chandler Jones, he signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. So big addition to, um, the, the Vegas pass rush, which by the way, gained a key extension with Mash Crosby. So four more years with Mr. Crosby. And he gets a running mate with Chandler Jones. So big addition to their pass rush. But the biggest move that they made um, in Vegas with roll, in rolling the dice and getting that wild card was the trade for Devontae Adams from the Green Bay Packers. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they traded two first round picks for this year. Yes. It literally didn't like, cost them much aside from the contract extension, the big hefty contract extension. Yes. It only cost the Raiders this year's first and second round picks and a massive contract for Devontae Adams. Holy shit. <laughs> so Derek Carr gets his old teammate from Fresno back on the team. Like, not back on the team, but reunited. This this is big. This is really big. I mean, yes, Derek Carr is like kind of a downgrade from Aaron Rodgers, kind of. But the two... Obviously, teammates in college. So hopefully, this worked out. Hopefully, this works out for them and gives the Raiders a, a massive boost, a massive boost in the offense. Um, so teams won't always be targeting Hunter Renfo and Darren Waller. It gives Derek Carr more options to play with in this team and gives what the Raiders absolutely needed in in the offseason, a downfield threat to attack, to stretch the field, attack. Uh, the defense and they got it in Devonte Adams. So big, big need that they already addressed so far this off season. So some of the things that they still need to address is their, is their, their defense. They lost Casey Hayward. Um, 
in free agency. So they need to go back out and get a corner. They should they should also consider getting a safety um, as well. So they added some cheap pieces, um, but mostly reserves in Darius Phillips and Anthony Averitt. But they need a starting corner um, to help out um, the young secondary. But there's still some pieces available. You know, you got Stephon Gilmore and Patrick Peterson still available um, at, on the free agent market at the time. And, you know, there's still a good safety market out there. Tyron Matthew, anyone? <laughs> you know, they could also add some depth to the offensive line. Um, you know, not sure how a third-round pick um, will look in terms of finding a gem. But you still have to solidify Derek Carr and, well, an offensive line that was pretty bad last year. So, for the Raiders, you know, and they were in a very tough predicament in 2021. You had the John Gruden email fiasco, Henry Ruggs getting arrested. Um, the team looked like it was going to hit big time rock bottom. But then Rich Bisaccia lit a fire in them and made a late season playoff push. And yes, while it didn't end the way that they wanted to and it didn't go further and it, Rich Bisaccia didn't get a permanent gig, the Raiders, you know, they could still continue to build on what Bisaccia did late in the season. And hopefully McDaniels continues to um, light a fire in them. Like, of course, in a positive way, in a people person way um, in the uh, in 2022 and beyond. So now that they got Joshua Daniels, now that they got Dave Zeigler, now that they got them taking big swings at guys like Chandler Jones and especially Devontae Adams, now it's on the, the roster. Now it's on guys like Derek Carr and the Raiders offense and pretty much the entire team overall to play the right cards, roll the dice and just overall execute for them to survive an all out brawl in the AFC West in 2022. So next up, we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. The second year under Cliff Kingsbury was pretty disastrous. You know, they win the first half of their games and people were thinking, oh, they're finally going to make their uh, first playoff appearance in almost forever. But then they go on to lose the other half of their their games in 2020 to go eight and eight and forfeit the last NFC playoff spot to the Chicago Bears. And you know during that stretch in 2020, the biggest problems um, the Cardinals faced was Cliff Kingsbury, their head coach, um, his inability to adapt to in-game um, situations, especially when it came to changing up his play calls when the team was um, trailing and losing. So also. Kyle Murray also eventually got figured out late in the season. You know, considering how he's a mobile quarterback and he likes to run around the pocket a lot. Yeah, all the defenses had to do was collapse the pocket, contain him really quick, and limit his chances to get the ball out. So, Cardinals pretty much got figured out late in the season. And they didn't really adapt to what the defense were doing. So, during the offseason, the Cardinals, they couldn't really do much. And they didn't do much because of the limited uh, money they had to spend. And they also lost um, some of the key contributors like Patrick Peterson and Hassan Reddick on defense. And they also lost their longtime receiver in Larry Fitzgerald. Um, they also added the likes, though, to counter some of those losses with A.J. Green, J.J. Watt, and James Conner. They also added a center in Rodney Hudson. So, you know, they lost some people, but they also gained some people. The, the thing was, though, they didn't really have much depth. They didn't really have much reserves or like backups, just in case something happened to the starters. So for Arizona, Arizona uh, expectations were kind of middling at best because of not just the lack of depth at certain positions, 
but considering um last season's disastrous end yeah that's why expectations were kind of middling but you know it was still a wide open nfc west pretty competitive um so they were hopeful to seize the opportunity and you know surprisingly they did so early on because they got off to a seven and no start and this was a fluky uh undefeated streak like other teams had um to start the season the cardinals actually ended up beating teams that eventually made the playoffs you know and they did so from the very beginning you know the offense playing at a high level especially from kyler murray looking like an early mvp front runner the receiving core of aj green deandre hopkins christian kirk and then their rookie rondale moore looked like a deadly foursome <laughs> it was like they were good route runners like made some pretty nice catches and they were pretty hard to stop um after the catch so the defense is uh the defense was able to contain uh the quarter uh the opposing quarterbacks get some big stops um on third down as well as fourth down situations um so all in all the cardinals looked like they were going to be in full gear to not just get back into the postseason but perhaps make a deep uh playoff run and be perhaps an x-factor uh super bowl contender but hold the brakes hold the damn brakes nah guess who said nope not today maggle not today, Michael. The Green Bay Packers in week eight were like, nope, we're shutting this gig down, partner. On a Thursday night, the Green Bay Packers went to Arizona and pretty much lit up lit up the gas brakes. They they made the Cardinals lose their first games. The offense was pretty much a no-show for most of the game. And yeah, AJ Green sold that game away by not looking at Kyler Murray, um, who threw the ball towards him and Rasul Douglas easily picked that thing off, and the Cardinals lost that game and lose, lost their first game of the season. Now, sure, they bounced back from that game um, with a 2-1 stretch, but the thing is, um, during that stretch, you know, you see the cracks begin to form. Um, during that Packers game, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins got injured um, with ankle and hamstring injuries, respectively. J.J. Watt was already um, lost for the regular season with a shoulder injury and had to get surgery. And then you had guys like Chase Edmonds and Rodney Hudson uh, miss games with um, injuries that I don't remember. Now, surely, you know, their backups managed to beat a more healthier 49ers team and a somewhat healthy Seahawks team. But, you know, it was apparent that the lack of death and full health um, would eventually damage uh, the team down the stretch and that stretch indeed did damage the cardinals yet again so even with murray and hopkins back in the lineup the cardinals went on another choke job murray was again contained in the pocket by opposing defenses and well was sacked even more than last season's collapse the defense let up more big plays and wasn't able to get as much pressure as during their undefeated start and once again cliff kingsbury once again, during big during games, failed to adjust his game plan when his team was trailing. And sometime, and I think in a few games, he let up leads in games. So the Cardinals eventually lost their grip on the NFC West to the LA Rams, and deservedly so when they lost to the Detroit Lions of all teams. So they clinched their playoff spot. You know, they got some help from the Rams, um, ironically. Um, by the Rams being the Minnesota Vikings, I like late in the season, and of course the Rams. Um, during that wild card game to close out Super Wild Card Weekend, whooped their candy asses, 
in that game. So overall, this season collapse was perhaps even worse for Arizona because you know they get off to this surprising seven and zero start. Um, they looked like uh, an X factor Super Bowl contender. Um, you know they, they looked unstoppable with that that offense that had all these weapons with with Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green, and then you had a running back uh, in James Conner that was resurging but then they lost when they lost their first game and then they got all the injuries and then eventually in december they got their people healthy they completely took out their gas pedal pedal yet again and look what happened in when they got to the playoffs in that monday night uh playoff game they got embarrassed really embarrassed now i was surprised that the front office didn't fire Cliff Kingsbury for this even worse choke job. Now, like, what's going to happen if he does it yet again for the third season in a row in 2022? So, you know, going into this offseason, they have a lot of questions to ask themselves. Like, what's the secondary going to be like? What are the options behind DeAndre Hopkins and Rondé Moore? Why does Cliff Kingsbury still have a job? <laughs> like, when you think about it, the Cardinals had a lot of short-term deals um, and not of like long, long-term options um, at certain skill positions, and a lot of it may have to, may have had to do with the tight um, money they had. But either way, not good for the Arizona Cardinals in what what could be a a a still tight NFC West. So going into this free agency period, you know they they were in the red. They had they had minus 800,000 so not that bad of red but still they were still in the red to open to open up free agency so some of the key free agents include AJ Green, Chandler Jones who they lost, um Chase Edmonds who they also lost and Christian Kirk who they also lost. So they pretty much lost all, most of their key free agents um and but they did manage to get uh back Zach Ertz and James Conner. So they at least have some pieces um back in the offense but you have to go back and try to address the the big losses that you had um in the offseason so right now you still have about seven million dollars to spend after restructuring some contracts um releasing some players you're slated to draft at number 23 so some things you still have to do is get younger at the receiver position so right now as it stands um Sure, DeAndre Hopkins um, is your number one receiver, but after he he didn't really have much of a healthy season uh, in 2021, like who knows if he'll have a, a fully healthy one in 2022. So you they, the Cardinals should invest in at least a second or third receiver option until you know Rondell Moore takes a leap into that um, second top or top receiver role. They have to look into, you know, at least, at least a, like a, maybe a day one or day two, um, pick in the draft to find a solid option for Kyle Murray to throw to, because, you know, the Cardinals did lose, um, uh, a key piece in Christian Kirk, who got overpaid by the Jaguars, by the way. And they also have to find the best available edge rusher in the draft. Um, I imagine they probably do this in round one. Um, because they lost the heart and soul of the pass rush in Chandler Jones. 
And, you know, J.J. Watt's not getting older, and their linebacker um, pick from 2021 in Zayvon Collins, he was kind of a disappointment in, in his rookie year. So that first pick um, should be focused on getting the right guy who's a good edge rusher. I mean, sure, like, it's going to be hard to... Um, are to replicate uh, what Chandler Jones did for that pass rush, but you got to get some success somewhere. So you also have to get some help in the secondary. There was not a lot of depth in that area. So, and as a result, they got burned late in the season. They still have some options uh, in the free agent market. Um, and if they don't find anything, there's still some solid um, day two and perhaps maybe even some a little bit of some steals in day three of the draft. So the Cardinals, you know, they had a chance to make a deep run in the NFC. Um, but again, just like in 2020, complacency from Cliff, Spring, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray wasted what could have been yet another promising season. Um, and, you know, considering what they're doing right now um, in the offseason, and who knows? Who knows what 2022 could look like? It could be another another successful start that leads to another choke job. Or they could be sitting with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks in the basement of the NFC West. But either way, this past season for the Arizona Cardinals was yet another choke job for Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. And that is a massive fail. Our last team on our recaps for this episode is the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? For the Dallas Cowboys... It has been a kind of a bad two years for for Dallas. You know, 2019 saw them drown in more mediocrity behind Jason Garrett as head coach. So I guess then was the time to finally fire his mediocre ass um, nine years too late. <laughs> so in came in Mike McCarthy in 2020 during the pandemic riddled um, NFL season. And, you know, 2020 did have some promise for Dallas. Um, that was for like five weeks though, because Dak Prescott went down with the horrific leg injury. Um, and then the rest of the way they went five and 11. Yeah, pretty bad. So the Cowboys made some solid offseason moves. They signed Dak Prescott to a long-term extension. They, they signed some short-term op, uh, deals with the likes of Carlos Watkins, Malik Hooker, um, Keanu Neal, mainly on the defensive end. And they continued to go defense with the drafting a linebacker, Michael Parsons with the number 11th overall pick. So there's still questions that remained on how Dak Prescott would look in his first game back after a very gruesome leg injury. But still, expectations were high for Dallas to bounce back after that horrific year and retake what was going to be a very winnable NFC East despite, you know, Washington winning that very horrid division in 2020. And, you know, in that first game against Tampa Bay, Dak Prescott looked good. And sure, they lost a very close opener to the Bucs. But, you know, early promising signs for, for the Cowboys. That's all they, that they should care about. You know, how is Dak going to look? And he looked pretty good as if he never um, got injured. So, and you saw this in their sixth game winning streak. Dak Prescott playing at a very good level, moving around, slinging the ball around to the likes of Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and C.D. Lamb, and Dalton Schultz. He's pretty much back to his pre-injury form. Um, the Cowboys rattled off six straight wins. Um, most of them beat the likes of eventual non-playoff teams, but they did rattle off a big win against the New England Patriots before the bye. 
Um, that duo of CD Lamb and Michael Gallup elevated the offense um, a lot. I mean, sure, Mari Cooper was your number one option, but for whatever reason, had a really down year. And then on the defensive end, Michael Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, a force to be reckoned with um, in the defense with netting tackles, get, stop gaining a lot of big big stops on um, defense. And for Trayvon Diggs, gain some pass deflections whenever he was not getting burned in coverage. Yes, that's the that was the big problem with Diggs um, this this past season, getting burned. Yes, yes indeed. Despite all the big plays that he made, the problem was for the Cowboys though. After the bye, they entered a midseason stretch that saw Dak and the offense struggle against better defenses um, and sometimes even less better defenses. And that caused them to lose valuable ground to uh, on a top two seed in the NFC. Seed. And this was despite the defense playing at a high level. But the problem was Dak Prescott hitting a slump of inconsistency that Honestly, he never seemed to recover from. Even when they got to December, when they played the, the, the entirety of the NFC East. So nonetheless, the Cowboys would still go 12-5, and five, win the division because, well, it pays to be in the NFC East. But I guess they forgot about the playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers because, well, yeah, that San Francisco defense hammered that offensive line and harassed Dak all game long, with uh, aside from two touchdowns and the fourth quarter comeback attempt. So... Yeah, yeah, they they pretty much they pretty much shit the bed in that playoff game. Um, they couldn't generate any pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo besides an interception, and Mike McCarthy perhaps made one of the stupidest play calls um, in a playoff game. He on on the last on the second on the last play of the game when the Cowboys needed to get in field goal range, he decided to call a quarterback run instead of you know let's have. Either Amari Cooper or C.D. Lamb. Uh, let's have Dak Prescott throw it to the sideline, or throw it close to the sideline, so they can get out of bounds, get into field goal range. And I think they needed it to, um, they needed it to tie the game to force overtime. But nope. Let's have Dak Prescott run down the middle and then slide. <laughs> let's have him slide in the middle with no timeouts remaining and less than ten seconds left. And then they have everyone run down the field. And oops, my my own lineman bumps into me and. Instead of giving the, the ball to the ref, let's have me give the ball to my center and spike the ball, which I cannot do. <laughs> what a stupid decision by Mike McCarthy. So the Cowboys lose on that stupidity. And even before then, they were already losing that game. They were already losing that game. So for the Cowboys, you know, despite, um, despite all of that, you know, this was literally their best chance. This was literally their best chance to... Um, go on a Super Bowl run, literally. You know, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott playing at a very, very good level, and the supporting cast really shined. Ezekiel Elliott, um, although he didn't have the best year, he actually had a pretty down year. But thankfully for Dallas, reserve Tony Pollard stepped his game up to serve as an energy boost for him and that running game. The offensive line, one of the best in the league in in pass protection and run blocking. Um, creating some open lanes for Elliott and Tony Pollard. And a lot of defensive playmakers, aside from Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, as usual, especially Micah Parsons. Um, I'm not sure if it's him or TJ Watt that won the Defensive Player of the Year, but Micah Parsons really was the defense this year with his multi-threat ability um, as a linebacker and as a pass rusher. Excellent in coverage, generating negative plays, 
and got some immediate stops and got to the quarterback really, really good. So the problem was for the Cowboys is that they weren't consistent. They just weren't consistent um, um, for much of the season, especially in December, where they would have a good game against Washington, but then they'd have a shitty game against Arizona. They like they get off to a fast start against Washington, and then they would start slow in Arizona and never recover. So yeah, it's just bad offense, um, bad bad execution, bad coaching. It would lead to the Dallas Cowboys wasting their best chance. This was literally their, their chance. They have they had a literally talented roster, um, at least on paper. They had they had the the talent to get to the Super Bowl. Um, had you know they executed everything, had they executed everything properly, but they were just too inconsistent. They just didn't um, do enough. They just didn't. So what do you do from here? <laughs> what do you do from here? I Like this is literally their best chance. And they, they completely screwed the pooch on it. So going to the off season, um, they, they had to make some difficult decisions because they were well um, over the cap going into free agency. Um, their initial cap space was around, um, minus 21 million. So some difficult decisions to make some contracts to restructure. Um, but some of the key free agents going into free agency included, um, left the left guard, Connor Williams, right tackle, Lyle Collins, um, Greg Zerline, Carlos Watkins, Michael Gallup, and Cedric Wilson. Now they did lose Randy Gregory, uh, to the Denver Broncos. He initially agreed to come back to the Cowboys, but he's like, nope, I changed my mind. I'm going to to Denver. I want to play for Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, he literally um, pulled a switcheroo on Dallas. They also re-signed. Um, I think did, did they already sign Demarcus Lawrence, or did they just um, extend him again? I don't know. But anyway, they also um, re-signed Michael Gallup to a big contract, despite you know an AC coming off that ACL injury. Um, but they did lose Cedric Wilson, a key reserve piece to the Miami Dolphins, and they also traded Amari Cooper. To the Cleveland Browns, the the skid marks fleeced the Dallas Cowboys for for pennies on a dollar. They only got fifth, the Cowboys only got fifth and sixth round picks out of them. Out of the skid marks, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? They also lost the uh, right tackle Lyle Collins to the Cleveland, uh, not to the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals. So. The Cowboys lose while the Bengals are retooling their offensive line um, to protect Joe Burrow. The Cowboys are losing their offensive line to unprotect Dak Prescott. So, although they have a reverse cap space, twenty-four million in the green, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to retool that offensive line now? Because, well, they should. They need to. Because they wound up losing a good chunk of the starters um, due to either cap casualties or free agency. So that's what Jerry Jones needs to do to assure Dak can continue to elevate his play and not be a Joe Burrow in 2022. I mean, you can use the free agency money. You can use the 24th pick in the draft. Do something. They also have to find replacements for uh, Cedric Wilson and Amari Cooper because, well... um, C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup, you know, they're not there yet. They are not there yet in wide receiver one and two uh, production just yet. I mean, sure, C.D. Lamb, pretty good receiver, but not wide receiver one just yet. So 
again, risky proposition to give a big contract to Michael Gallup, who is coming off an ACL tear. I think he's a late season ACL tear too. So who knows if he's going to be ready by the start of the season. So the Dallas Cowboys need to find a another wide receiver or two in the draft or bargain bin um, to add some depth at the receiver position. So the Cowboys got what they hoped for. Um, and Dak being healthy, having a bounce back year um, from the terrible leg, leg injury in 2020. But, you know, they blew their best chance. They literally blew their best chance um, to make a deep playoff run and even go to the Super Bowl. They, they literally had a uh, talented roster, a, tack, a stacked roster to go to the Super Bowl. A good, a very good defense and a very good offense. But stagnant coaching and bad execution on all sides led to some bad losses late into the season and to some inconsistency and an early playoff exit to Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, to Jimmy Garbage Fail and the 49ers. Huh. How do you do that? So sure, they can try again in 2022, but with how much they lost in free agency, they may have just blew their best chance yet at going for a Super Bowl in the years to come. So that's it for part four of my NFL season recaps 2021. And how do you think your team did in in 2021? Whether you're a fan of the Cowboys, the Cardinals, the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the who else did we talk about? The Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots. How do you think they did in 2021? And how do you think they will do in 2022? Considering the moves they made currently in free agency. And what do you think that they'll do um, throughout the offseason? Let me know. Let me know. And, you know, if you missed any of the, of the team recaps, they're all on YouTube and all the other platforms as well. So anyway... We're going to continue to go through the final seven. Yes, the final seven teams on our team recaps. Next episode, we're going to go through the four divisional round losers, um, the Buffalo Bills, the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Bucks, and the Tennessee Titans. And then we'll wrap up in in the following episode, um, the two episodes later, with the final three, the Bengals, the Rams, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, reverse order, obviously. <laughs> But we're getting close to the finish line. We are getting close to that finish line right there, Maggle, um, with our se- our March Madness, our season recaps, and I hope you I hope you're enjoying them so far. But that is it for this episode of Very Cold Lasagna. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. Thank you for tuning in into this fine fine episode, episode 96 of this freezing cold podcast. Make sure you tune into the podcast however you can and wherever you can, whether it's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and Google Podcasts. And follow the show on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Very Cold Lasagna. And as always, keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your takes on the world of pro wrestling and sports. In the fridge, icy and spicy, like that very cold lasagna. And until next time, who knows what the next move free agency, but we'll see. But until then, Peace out.